God is present in God's creation, but in all things. And not confined to this building, um, or even confined to God's people. We're doing this series on, uh, you know, mission as, or mission, vocation as mission, or the connection between God and the various vocations that we hold, so as to lift your eyes in those places where you are when you're not here, to ask, where am I seeing God? How am I carrying the grace and beauty and hope of God in these places? So last week, Diana spoke. It's not that we expect all of you to go into vascular nursing, but through Diana's experience to think, how am I seeing God incarnate in these places? How am I carrying something of God's beauty in these places? That's why we're doing this. So um, we're grateful for the variety of people. We've gotten to get a bit of a window on what it's like for them to see God and to carry something of God into those places both. You know, the place that you spend most of your time is not devoid of God. God's already at work. We're hoping through this you begin to see there's where God's at work. Maybe I can come alongside and contribute to what God's doing or work alongside the Spirit. How is it that I carry something of a witness to God's grace and beauty in these places? So with that frame, I want to invite Kermit Hovey up so that we can see how that's played out in Kermit's life and Kermit's vocation or vocations. <laughs> What is it that you think you do? <laughs> what is it that you consider <laughs> as your vocation? Well, I'm going to start with a little story that had not been on the table, even as I came in, but after we had our little you know, check-in and orientation, I chatted briefly with Mike, who has stepped away, but uh, he asked the question, how long have you been born again? And that flashed me back decades. Nine years old, maybe. And I was a precocious child. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> Musing and wondering about, well, what am I going to do when I grow up? What's going to happen when I grow up? What's going to happen after I grow up? Uh, what's beyond life? And I can remember particularly, and let us grant up front the vagaries of memory and the reconstructive nature by which narrative and story is fulfilled in our minds as we try to figure out where we've been, let alone where we're going. Nevertheless, I have a fairly strong image of being on the floor in the kitchen of my grandmother's house. And I started crying. And one of my uncles not terribly helped, well, he, he actually helpfully did ask, oh, so what's, what's, what's going on, buddy? You know, and 
I, I kind of simplified my existential angst into a simple, <laughs> I'm worried about what I'm going to do when I grow up. Huh. And he said, you're too young to worry about that. Not terribly helpful. <laughs> but it was within that consciousness that I was drawn to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And in accepting that, embracing the consequent challenge to figure out and do God's will. It's like, if I'm, if I'm following Jesus, I'm following God, and I want to know and I want to do God's will. So in a sense, your uncle provoked the answer I think my vocation, my, my job is following God. Essentially, essentially. And so you know, when we talk vocation, I very much lean on a root meaning that it's calling. What is the calling? And so what's the calling of God? And fundamentally and primarily, as that story somewhat illustrates, it has been what is God's will for my life? What am I to be doing with my time? And I believe, uh, whether it's in prayer, in, in words heard from others, in words that form in the con- you know, in that context of prayer, uh, in circumstance, uh, in providence, I've been seeking to see and have been blessed with various answers over time as to what God's will is. And I think it's been revealed, not just as God has revealed himself, that God has revealed God to me, but as God has helped reveal me to me Hmm. to learn what my passions and inclinations and So you you see vocation as something that can be very specific to a person. To a person's personality, to the longings that they have, exactly. and so yes. a good question for us is, what is it that God has called us to? Right. And you seem to intimate that that might change. Yes, there are often common themes, but I think there's change, and I think there's uh, a key way in which I think, you know, at the highest level, the most abstract form, it's like the is what is God calling us to do? Are we listening? And how how do we see or perceive that? Um, and in that sense, there is like a, I think there is a universal vocation for us all. What's God saying? How? For my life, for my vocation, for my work, for my job, what have you. Um, and yet at the same time, there, there can be an, an incarnational precision of focus that emerges over time that the call moves from this general to here, now. If not me, who? If not this, what? If not now, when? To steal the words of some rabbi. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we'll get to, and I'm anxious to get to, your story arc of how God's Mm -hmm. call to follow God has expressed itself, especially as an adult. Mm -hmm. Right now, how would you describe God's 
vocational yes. calling to you. And and for that, just stripping away any any backstory, I would put it in the words of uh, a mission statement I developed in the context of a, a group I've been been part of for some years now. Uh, I create a sustainable world of beauty by guiding myself and others into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ and his light, truth, and love. Now, I, I have a voice in my own head, and there may be a voice in some of your heads like, well, that's awfully presumptuous. I create. God creates. And yet we are co-creators, in my understanding. And so to state something as boldly and aspirationally as that is within our purview as agents, co-regents, ambassadors of the king and of the kingdom. Okay. This, this is off the script of what we've talked about, truly extemporaneous, unscripted, raw and real, here, live. Oh, what? Oh, I, I started unscripted. But anyways, go ahead. <laughs> well, like, what's that look like? What do you do? What did you do last week? Like, practically speaking, okay. what does it look like to do what you just well, said? Uh, well, this makes this can become a little complicated because last week is a far from representative week. Um, I'm trying to think how to go with this. Or but, but because, well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll give it both. I'll give you both. Yeah, I, you I, I want to contextualize. Exemplary. I, 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 am, I am in a season post-death of my father. And uh, for the past decade, easily, I have been focused on uh, advancing the cause of caring for creation, and addressing the climate crisis for the sake of creating a sustainable world of beauty and doing that by identifying and sharing the truth and the light and the love of Christ, which all truth is God's truth. And so this is this is, gives me an expansive mandate. Expansive, let me tell you. And sometimes it's like you're slapped in the face. No, it's, when you hit these truths um, and so a week you know the past week it's like I, I've, I've announced to all of my comrades in arms my dad has died I'm a grieving I'm now a grieving son and eldest in my family eldest in my family not just sibling order, but eldest in my family. Mm. And I can't be counted. Don't expect that I'm going to be doing any of this uh -huh. direct work that I have poured so much of my life and energy into for the past decade because grief, because I'm an executor and I'm a trustee. And so that, right. that so vocationally, I mean, God's call on my life now is to be the eldest in my family and to try to shepherd. I, I officiated at the funeral. I, you know, prepare, you know, manage the bumps along the way to get that to happen. I've been now managing the bumps that come as we 
sort through yeah. the estate and other issues. So that's what's happening like last yeah. week, and that's like phone calls and email and There's reading like practical, the practical, yeah. real-world implications to being right. uh, the eldest and yeah. executing the right. exactly. estate and other, exactly. other things. And so the call is: if not this, what? If not now, when? If not, anyways. You yeah, exactly, and particularly that because my dad named me in the will and named me in the trust. Mm -hmm. So you know, there I am. Uh, but before that, <laughs> before that, um, I was uh, well. Let's 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 go let's let's go to the the cusp of the transition. That Saturday morning, September tenth, I was preparing to wake up, get dressed, hop on my bike and bike to the faith community engagement team meeting, which I was going to be leading as the leader of that group, which is part of the Citizens Climate Lobby Madison chapter. Then I was going to be attending the Citizens Climate Lobby chapter meeting, and uh, I think I had an announcement or something I might have been going to make about some outreach we were organizing as part of the faith community engagement team. And the faith community engagement team <coughs> is trying to connect churches, faith communities, with the, the imperative of caring for creation as it relates to the climate. And instead of my alarm waking me up, my wife woke me up, kind of like with a, I have some news. Hmm. Your father's passed away. Hmm. Having, and so... Before that, I was preparing the you know, agendas. Again, you know, what does that look like? It looks really boring. I mean, that's the thing. You know, take your kid to work day. It's like, watch dad sit. Bore at, your sit, kid sit, at sit. work day. Exactly. Sit, sit at the desk, read things, write things, type things, email things, receive things, read things, type things. You know, make a phone call or two, pull out a book, read. You know. Okay, hmm, carbonomics. Well, how are we going to get the economy to adapt to this problem? Like you said, you know, or your kid at work day. It's like, I, I, I mean, at least with Diana, you get the chance to see blood spurting around, you know, something exciting. But it's, you know. The, well, how do you see God then at work? Like, you know, <laughs> how is God present? Or how are, you, how are you encountering or seeing God in your vocation in your job? Um, I'm just trying to see how, we want, how we're navigating things to get to that. I guess we'll leapfrog. Um, in seeing God at work in terms of that current iteration of my vocation, you know, big picture is like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? In, in the current iteration, it's like, okay, how can I create a sustainable world of beauty by guiding myself and others into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ and his light and love? Uh, that involves writing things and talking <laughs> to people and in those dialogues, in those relationships, listening. Hmm. Because in those dialogues, in those relationships, one can either hear God or 
God can speak in context in, in, in the, the, the moment. So um, let's see if I'm... Well, it's less of an issue now because people know me in the climate change advocacy space, but particularly early on, it was very clear to me that part of my witness, part of my leading people into a deeper relationship, even with the knowledge of Jesus and truth and truth related to creation, what are you doing here? Are you a what? A Christian? We don't they don't sh- they don't show up for these meetings. They don't show up for this issue. And so my witness there and what I recognize as God's will and God's opportunity for me there was to shatter the stereotype and shatter the lie that God doesn't care and that his people don't care. His people, if they are following the God that I know, must care. And as an agent myself, an ambassador and a representative, I'm going to make that case in the world at large. That God cares. Yeah, it's and, part of bearing yeah. witness to yes. the resurrection, the yes. renewal of all yes. things, the yes. call to be caretakers. And in yes. that particular circle, the name Jesus Christ might be spoken, but maybe in a different way than you would bring that name into that or, community. And, and here, here's another dimension, and here's part of, I think, the blessing and the challenge and the, the, the will of God is to shatter our own stereotypes. And oftentimes, I would hear Jesus spoken of and the truth of the Bible spoken by people who didn't necessarily identify as Christians and they were scratching their heads wondering, why aren't... This is the truth that God cares, that God loves, that we are to love one another. I mean, they knew it in many cases. And their puzzlement was, where. so why aren't we being swamped with Christians concerned about this? It's, it's from your... Scripture in the Hebrew Scriptures is that we have this understanding of the sacredness of exactly uh, right, right, and I'm sure you could talk also about like how you're seeing God in present in your journey with your dad's mm-hmm. passing yep. and stuff yep. like that. But I want to get to how. You, oh, go ahead. I, I, I think there's a part two that I want. I'd, okay, we may circle back, get, catch it, but I don't want it to get lost. And that is as far as you know. There's the witness that I have to the world at large and to the environmental community, the climate crisis community in my current vocation. And there is also, I believe, the witness I have to the church and to other Christians regarding the same. So I represent the truth of God cares and we are indeed to love and in loving we are to take care of our common home which everybody relies on. And to the church This, too, is part of our call of discipleship. This is part of God's call on our lives, 
to care for and to nurture and to protect and to serve the creation that we have been blessed with and blessed with the mandate, the original Uh commission as we like to talk about it, at least you and I like to talk (laughs) about it. Uh, And so that's another context of of witness and of work that is congruent with my understanding of God's will and my vocation yeah, in the present in- time. It's interesting to think about how each of us in our different spaces bring a sense of witness into those spaces, but also from that into the church. Um, there may mm-hmm. be other places that you work that you have a particular eye seeing God work mm-hmm. and needing to bear witness to the church as well as bear witness to the community that you're in, as well exactly. as receive the witness from those places. as you're. Right. So anyway, thank you. Yes. How'd you get here? Like, what's the story arc of oh, your yeah. career? Like, did you went to school in environmental studies, right? No. <laughs> um, so, just the... the the framing statement I'll offer before I plunge into answering that and the following the, the through line such as it is, uh, God draws straight with crooked lines. And I, I, I've long attributed that to a an elder statesman of the faith in my home church of years ago, Reba Place Church in Evanston. And... Ironically, just to acknowledge, again, the, the vagaries of memory and reconstruction. Sometime before he passed away, but years after I'd heard that from him, he said, did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> humility. It must have been humility. Yes. At any rate, um, yes. I, I, as I look back over my life, if you round... A little bit here and there. It's it seems like there've been decadal rhythms. You know, it's kind of like so. Like the one critical decade was pre-work is like you know teenage years through college, right? You know, I'm I'm learning. I I like science and I like engineering. And I like writing and I like communicating and. I graduate with a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering. Um, that was a time that I, when I graduated that is actually surprisingly similar to this current couple of years or epoch. It's like inflation is in double digits, uh, talk of nuclear war and annihilation is, is you know, Consuming a lot of energy and concern. Uh, Economic scene is unstable. The political scene is unstable. And so here we are again. But anyways, at that time, how I incarnated was, okay, i got to get a job now. I've graduated, and I did what people usually do, resumes and job applications, it was all paper back then. I don't know if people are used <laughs> Were to Were there today. fax machines 
There were still fact. There were primitive drum fax machines. Even they were really exciting to work with. Uh, but part of what I was doing still was okay. Wh- how can I connect this to my sense of purpose, sense of call, and whatever it? So like. I, I interviewed with Commonwealth Edison, which is you know a big utility in uh, Illinois, and I'm going okay, yeah. I mean, if we can do this right, we can eliminate our reliance on fossil fuels, and we can save energy if we use electricity and and and, and generate. I, I mean, I was kind of like constructing this this vision for what I might be able to be part of in that job didn't work out, but I ended up landing at a company called uh, Mark, I call it initially Powers, they went through a number of mergers which I survived for years, each transition while lightning struck one side or the other as far as you know people staying on board, and that company made computerized building automation and energy management systems. What was the benefit of that? If we manage energy efficiently, we use less energy. If we use less energy, we rely less on imported fossil fuel. We pollute less. This is something I can I can envision being part of, and so I was for close to ten years. Sat at a desk, wrote email, or maybe not emails. Wrote, back wrote then, letters. back yes. then, yeah, not so much the emails, type letters, type but, but letters, yeah, actually, right? You submitted handwritten documents to secretaries who would type them. Send them out. Send them out, right. Um, Yes, and or answered the phone and said, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, have you tried plugging it in? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. It works now. Okay, thank you. Okay, next. Uh, (laughs) I mean, okay, we need to get into a service manual. I mean, basically, right, it was the same pile of things uh, in some circles the, the generic category is that they go, symbolic manipulators my dad was a real thing manipulator I was a symbolic manipulator words ideas words and ideas all the time do this and yeah it works how long was that job and again it was it was about 10 years hmm. and as much as I was grounding a sense of satisfaction in that job with the way I saw that connecting with my overarching, you know, the the environmental thread that I see that has kind of flowed through my, my life. Uh, it got frustrating at some point. I mean, the, 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 the uh, not that pay is, as you may know from my story that you already have heard, is a, a total deal breaker. At the same time, they stopped giving out raises quite as generously as they were. And that coincided, ironically, with the fact that uh, we had our first child. And that coincided with uh, my recalling Hmm. I've always had this in the back of my mind, but 
maybe now's the time to do something. My grandfather uh, approached me once when I was maybe 12 years old. Again, details not clear. And said, Kermit, during my quiet time today, I felt God telling me that I should tell you that you're supposed to go into the ministry. Hmm. Being a dutiful 12-year-old, I'm going, huh? Uh, <laughs> but it lodged. Hmm. And so, after about 10 years in industry, uh, having a child and going, hmm, as much work as this baby is, if we're having any more children, this is not going to get easier if this is indeed part of God's will for my life that I've been kind of fulfilling on the side as a volunteer here and a volunteer there and you know, stepping up for church leadership roles and trying to live a simple lifestyle and all that good stuff. So... Uh, there was a rather involved discernment process uh, that leaned on a number of wise people from Ruby Place Church. A number of us, there are a few of us who have roots there. And that discernment, despite a number of rather challenging fleeces, led to my t- stepping, I sometimes call it a quantum leap from engineering and industry to seminary. Hmm. And uh, So I'm not getting yeah. paid enough as an engineer, I'll become a pastor. You know, well, it, it's basically it's like, well, if I'm not going to get paid, I may as well do something where I'm not going to expect better, to get yes, paid. Exactly. I mean, no, I... I, 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 I hear the apparent irony, but there actually was an impetus attached to it. Well, if I'm not going to get paid, may as well do something that, you know, that's that's par for the course, rather than... And so you're in your 30s now? Yeah, roughly. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, I'll just... One of, the, one of the fleeces was we're going to get a call. An invitation. An invitation slash call, but and I heard it also, but and again in different ways. There was a very my wife had a very specific prayer time encounter, boom. You wait for an invitation. And for me, I had an encounter at a church conference that uh, leadership from Reba Place Church was going to and I insinuated my way into it and met a pastor who was involved with a church in Madison. And it's like, he said, yeah. Anyways, so so between the, those two experiences, a very, very verbatim one and a more inductive one, he said, okay. And... How many hours did you say we had? No, uh, I, I, I'll bridge it just to say, and the rest is history in terms of our meeting the Seabergs and coming up to Mad and setting our sights for Madison and the Ewings and the Ferdy Hertz for totally separate reasons 
finding themselves drawn to Madison and are going, hey, well, if you're going for that reason, you're going for that reason, and, and we're kind of thinking maybe church planting or church connection, church ministry, let's start meeting and talking together. And But that's a book for another day. I love a number of things <laughs> out of that story. First of all, the idea of discernment. Even when you're in a um, you know, sweet spot and thinking God calls us sometimes out of those places and into new places and does so in communities. So mm-hmm. Diana and others mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. are part of this story of I think it's time to move. There's a restlessness mm-hmm. maybe involved mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. some words. So mm-hmm. being on the lookout for those moments where there's a radical shift. Mm-hmm. And it brought you here. One of the other things that's... Uh, you didn't mention, you came here with church planting in mind, and I I love how, mm-hmm. well, God's already got people meeting and loving and serving, maybe not starting something new, but joining and bringing right. a kind of renewal, right. and the mustard seed community did yes. bring a kind of renewal yes. to this yes. body. yes. That's a whole, I mean, we could go there, that's a lot, but yes, exactly, that's true. I mean, it was like, okay, God, if what, if the new thing we're planting is going to be planted by virtue of splicing, rather than just starting from something totally separate, okay. I, I, and that was part of the discernment of the journey that I think yeah. we, we were on. Okay, God, what is your will for us in this time and in this place? And it did indeed prove out as best we could discern then, and hopefully it has been borne out in the fruits of that to exactly so you part of. Seminary, that was a season, relocating yep. your family, yep. joining with others in order to bring uh, renewal to a city mm-hmm. and partnering with a church. Like, yep. how long was that season? And that was roughly a decade birth and in the midst of that season was an assortment of things so it's like I didn't totally leave that engineering stuff behind I got a job through John Hunt who was a member of the church back in those years at the Forest Products Lab and so I was doing research engineering and so on, on Sundays I would spend time occasionally in the pulpit preaching here it all actually was there down the street and maybe it was still here it was also here uh, and as I like to joke around with the forest products lab I would be in the pulp pit there as well <laughs> making making recycled making paper jokes. products and making recycled bad jokes, bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a bivocational role that is, and that was like a so season. This pays the bills, and it's a certain period yes. of time, and exactly that exactly. allows me to be free to serve exactly without pay. Exactly, exactly. The bivocational ministry you have to have a vacation, a vocation that will buy you things, and the ministry vocation may not <laughs> a do B-U-Y that. B U Y vocation, exactly. Okay, so <laughs> ten years, and then what happened in terms of? Oh, let's see now. What was that? Next. What was that? Oh, yeah. That, and that was kind of a uh, 
I would say that was a, in some respects, a wandering time mm-hmm. because there were family needs and issues, uh, especially attached to Diana's mother's developing Alzheimer's and how that just really was like a, a black hole that kind of shifted the orbit mm-hmm. of our family issues and concerns and focus. And so uh, that was a season where I stepped, and there and there are more twists and turns that I don't uh, know that we have time or necessary liberty. So Diana okay. is for right. those who aren't hearing. Right. You know, as Kermit's yeah. talking about this season of wandering, <laughs> uh, Diana's okay. talking about Kermit's availability and carrying the presence into a very difficult situation as her mom had developed Alzheimer's. And like right. for Kermit, it felt a little uh, a little wandering. For Diana, it was like, right. you right. are the person at this time to bring Christ into this situation. Right. Yeah. And I like that because I think... All of us face these seasons of mm-hmm. drifting, or it feels a little bit but, like yeah. I, I'm anchorless. And, and the qualification, it's not total, it wasn't like aimlessness, it was like in regards to a sense of vocational fulfillment along mm-hmm. the more traditional lines that even you know the church ministry thing did, or the engineering did, it was not there. But in terms of vocation and ministry in the home and in the family and in that context it was yeah i mean it was like you say it wasn't wandering though it could feel that way at times right. but it's it's only relative to the relative stability that you and focus one has when you're more directly involved and not responding to a consuming crisis, yeah, which is the last thing years. What we're getting to here is a season of you not getting paid for what you do. And I right. suppose during that, that transition, well, both transitions into seminary mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then this one into what you currently do, there is a different kind. There was back then. There's less so today. A pressure on guys is like breadwinner. Mm-hmm. And this yeah, idea yeah. of uh, partnership right. and thinking differently about the the role of income in a sort of traditional marriage right. or couple, like that had to be part of that journey as well. Like, okay, I'm not, you know, I'll do right. bivocational stuff that will provide some. Now you're in a situation or season where, like, where, you're yeah. not the primary breadwinner right. in your home. right. And, um, yeah, and for me, perhaps sometimes to Diana's appreciation of my incarnating Christ in in our life together, and perhaps sometimes to her frustration, uh, I've always viewed my paid jobs as dealing with God is my boss. And so if I have the job, it's because God wants me there. And if I don't have the job, 
And if they don't have a paycheck, it's because God has something else in mind. And so, given that framing, I was somewhat protected or, or had, had set up a boundary against the, the stereotypical cultural context that we used to be in more so to, than today, but still there are echoes of it, and, and in some sectors there's very strong vibrations, not just echoes, of the guy is a breadwinner and the guy has to be making a lot of money, and, the, and the value, your value is determined by how much money you make. It's like yeah. that was something that uh, I resisted for multiple reasons, which I saw flowing out of God's call in my life and uh-huh. God's will. Right. I think it's also good because we've got this emphasis in the season on like you are work is good and you're called into this industry and you're looking for God in this place. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. also this danger of over-identifying with the mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. receiving mm-hmm. ego, uh, unhelpful ego boost mm-hmm. from your work. So your identity and your value coming from work is something that ought to be challenged. And I right. feel, feel like that's coming out in this story as you're talking about yes. these transitions right. and right. leaving various good jobs. Now you're looking back and seeing this thread right. that goes right. through. Yeah, yeah. And we're we're now at this season. We've heard a bit about what right. you're yep, yep. doing. What's uh, rewarding and what's hard? What's hard and what's rewarding about what you're doing currently? Before we slide into there, I do also want to acknowledge that even during that family challenge priority season, there were there was time working, looking for job and finding job. I mean, basically, I ended up you know working at a call center for a number hmm. of years, where it was like, okay, this is really straining my sense of connecting to purpose and. Hmm. This is really constraining, and I don't know if who else has ever worked in the call center, but it can be challenging, especially when, in my case, I was I was inclined to be very conscientious, but their systems were set up to, in my estimation, crack the whip and get people to act conscientiously when they weren't likely to, and so. You're spending too much time. Well, wait, I'm doing what you told me to do. Well, you shouldn't spend that much time. Anyways, so, so that, again, that could be a whole other thing, but I'm wanting to acknowledge the, the fact that there are also seasons where it's like, okay, you know what? I don't see how this really fits in with higher purpose. It's like, but I'll do the best I can regardless because I think that's part of God's will, to do the best you can regardless. Uh-huh, and the need for... Another income stream, just to just live to, live simply. Right, We've talked about that. It isn't about building bigger barns. It's right. like I just I got to get a job. Right, I'm gonna apply. Yeah, and it it's not necessarily related to my sense of core calling. Maybe I'll find something of right. my core yep. calling to follow God. Oh yeah, this is following yep. God. Exactly. So, I'm sorry, you were prompting with... Uh, with uh, what's hard and what's rewarding about your current vocation. Okay, yeah, yeah. And 
and in particular, I think you, I was intrigued by how you were raising up a point of acknowledgement and concern that you know the the rewards can come from that in other ways, and then we need to question those rewards also. And I think that's very true. So, anyways, as far as what's the rewarding, it is very much the case of I am working with a group of people, groups of people, scattered individuals that. I respect and appreciate that share this sense of mission and vision framed in different forms perhaps or with different value systems driving their, them forward and yet they appreciate and value my presence and my contribution. It's like, wow, you got another guest column in the middle of the Times Tribune, good job. That, I really liked how, that point you made, blah, blah, blah. I mean, those little 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 strokes, little pets in the back, you know, people who write maybe know what that's mm -hmm. like, you know. Scott, that book, I like the point that's, you made about that's, Empire. That's my, in the my, church My first uh, <laughs> review uh, for the first thing I wrote on uh, the New Friars, one star. <laughs> uh, dismally boring was the, the heading, and then she went on to sort of crucify the, the book. So yes, those yeah. are helpful. So, <laughs> sometimes they're... they're Sometimes yeah. the reviews are not as glowing as you'd like. So but you, when you do get yes, those, they're, right. they're, you, you go, affirm yeah. and love others in this work. They love and affirm you. you. There's some yeah. beauty in yeah. that's rewarding. It's rewarding, and and I think it's good. And yet it can also be, well, now, how much are we leaning on that? How much are we letting that comfortability impede or retard our movement into what should be coming next. And so that's um, that's, I guess in a way it's something that's hard about where, because I guess one hard thing is recognizing that I've probably allowed myself to be spread too thin. You know, so like I'm I'm leading, you know, leader and convener for this faith community engagement team. I'm the leader for CCL Nationals Evangelical Christian Action Team. I'm one of the founding leaders of the Wisconsin Creation Care Ambassadors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh -huh. And there's always more to do, and there's always more I wish I'd do, and always more ideas where I get I could oh I should oh if I wish I may, and so my I mean it's uh -huh. Probably universal frustration and challenge. The, the to-do list continues to grow, even as the to, the done list just doesn't seem to. Uh huh. And keep I up. get the impression. Well, I don't know if I get the impression. I know with me, it's a <laughs> lifelong. So it's not just this in yeah. the season you're yeah. feeling like too. Yeah. But it's like right. I, I say yes too easily, and no too infrequently, mm -hmm. and need to think a little bit about some of that comes out of ego or right. other places but, that like you need to be. But, but it needs to be done. Right. And and if not me, well, maybe somebody else. Anyways, so as far as far as you know, the season, I mean, the rewards, the things that are good with the climate advocacy work in particular, just to refocus on that, which has been like the past decade ish. Uh, I still believe it's essential. It's fundamental. It's you know, the original commission, it's part of the original commission, it's part of what 
you know, Pope Francis uh, expressed as, you know, our common home. We need to protect our common home. If we are going to destroy our common home, then we are not loving God and we are not loving our neighbors. We are making life harder for them. Uh, and so it's rewarding because it makes sense to be doing this. It is fulfilling a call. And yet in the particulars of, okay, what am I doing in this space in response to this call, uh, it's there's nothing like the death of one's father to slap one in the face with a sense of mortality and a challenge to take seriously the musings that one has had. Maybe I need a sabbatical. Maybe I need to, a retreat. I need mm. to, it's like because there's always going to be more. There's so much. Mm-hmm. But am I really? Am I really right where? I, I need to be now. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, that's, it's also that's sort what of I'm poking at depending on God versus depending on yourself for mm-hmm. the solution. I think we'll, yeah. for time's sake, uh, move beyond the what from your college days are you bringing into this and wrap up with, like, where do you see empire in your work. What I mean by by that, because I've used that a few times, it's like, uh, you know, Augustine would talk about the city of man versus the city of God and, and would contrast those. It's the principalities and powers that bring uh, a kind of attention, empowerment, I would say idolatry to uh, the rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over you, you know, but not so among you. It's the kind of not so... If my kingdom were of this world, if my kingdom were of empire, then would my servants use violence and fight. Like, that's the way of empire, this idea of exploitation. So, that's, uh, in Revelation, it is represented as Babylon, which the readers would understand as the Roman Empire, and there are versions of the Roman Empire that exist today, that existed before the Roman Empire. So, Empire I'm using in that sort of city of man, as mm. Augustine would call it. So what have you seen of that mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. journey mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. these various vocations? Mm-hmm. Excellent question. It was indeed food for thought and, and reflection. I'm going to inject one brief point that I, I want to acknowledge as it relates to even any kind of storytelling that involves biography or autobiography, and in a way kind of offer an apology to anybody who's going, well, wait, I was part of that story. Why didn't I get figured in? It's it's like there's so many different tributaries feeding into this, this massive river of any one of our lives that it's very difficult to pick them out and, and, and cover them all. It's impossible. And and in particular, I find myself also recalling the classic, uh, you know, the flapping of a butterfly wings in the Himalayas by a circuitous route can be responsible for a hurricane off the coast of Florida. You know, it's the, the, the uh, way in which even small things loom large when one sees the impact and yet they may not be 
appreciate it at the time or they may not even be recalled in the moment of, of storytelling. So my apologies. And because actually pretty much all of you have had roles either what support morally, support spiritually, support financially at one time or another, and without that, this story wouldn't have happened. But as to empire, <laughs> um, oh, time, time, merciless mm. time. Uh, It's always been a challenge insofar as I have had this priority place on God's will. I'm working for God. And so, in any given uh, situation, sometimes there's a, it feels like there's a lot, a lot of lead time to reflect and consider and say, okay, what does this mean? How do I stand here against this issue or the, this problem. And sometimes it's like you're, you're hurtling down a, a train track a la Indiana Jones and there's a switch coming up and you got to decide right in the instant, am I going to hit that switch and go that way or am I going to go that way? And so one illustration of confronting empire was while I was an engineer working in industry, and some of you may recall uh, the overt apartheid era of South Africa. And there was a burgeoning movement of boycotting South Africa to apply pressure to have apartheid brought to an end. And I'm in this meeting where we're talking with the international department, and I'm representing the field. I'm one of the representatives, the, the uh, field support team, and we were wanting you to help with our South African initiative. And I'm going, oh crap! That smells like empire. That smells like status quo. That smells like supporting an evil empire in another country and not to wash the hands of our empire. <laughs> uh, I said, for moral reasons, I can't do that. For moral reasons, yeah. you can't do that. So you're faced with this ethical challenge. Yes. And you say the hard thing. And what happened? Did you get in trouble? Um... There were a couple of meetings with upper management, and I, I still remember. It was inter It was curious. I remember having shake your knee, shake your legs, getting up in front of our church at the time and asking for prayer, saying, "I just did this, and I don't know what's going to happen next. I may, be, I may be out of a job. Pray for me and pray for us." And. He said, we had a couple of meetings. Say, well, yeah, we hear what you're saying. Okay, well, okay. We, um, we won't require you to do that. We'll try to find somebody else from the company. So it's not like I stopped it from happening, but I raised a red flag, and discussions were had, and decisions were made, and not the decisions I necessarily wanted to see happen, but... 
And that's part of the nature of trying to bear witness in yeah. the context of empire. No, that's empire right. is all-encompassing right. in many respects. And like, you know, oh, then I quit. Well, wait, who's going to be a voice in the next situation? And maybe you trigger a, a set of right. thinking. And so it's hard to you know, make ethical stands in our various places when those things feel like our faith dictates we respond a certain way that will be looked poorly upon or give us a bad reputation or whatever. Yep. And yep. yet you stick with it. And in this case, you didn't move on because of that, but right. other things. But I think we'll bring it to a close here, just given the time. Yeah. Um, but what about... No. <laughs> <laughs> but you see the richness of just walking alongside one another and asking for a story. Stories are sacred. What Kermit gave to us was holy. And receiving that mm -hmm. story as sacred and holy, I think, is important. Let me pray for us, and then um, and, I have a couple and announcements. And, just, and remember, this is merely an example of how God can choose to work, not an example of how everybody should experience God or life. Yeah. Or, <laughs> Another set of stories that would be interesting with all the people we've brought up here is uh, how have you failed to bring something of your true self or the kingdom mm. into these places? And we would all have <laughs> just as many stories to tell in those mm -hmm. places of mm -hmm. failure. Mm -hmm. So, Lord, we give to you our imperfect journeys. We receive from uh, Kermit Diana's former pastor that you like to draw straight lines with uh, crooked God draws you draw straight with crooked lines, lines. There we go. and would you uh, <laughs> take the crooked lines of our life and our journeys into jobs and vocations paid and unpaid and make something beautiful in Jesus name Amen Amen Thank you Kermit Thank you